The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Well, if you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 7. Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. I've entitled the message this morning, The Bases of Blessing. Malachi was the last prophet to speak to the nation of Israel. After Malachi had given this prophecy to the nation of Israel, uh, theologians call the 400 years between Malachi and the incarnation of Christ, which we celebrate here at Christmas, as kind of the 400 years of silence. But how many of us know that God is never silent? Amen. There just weren't any speaking prophets, and uh, Malachi brings a message to a nation, the nation of Israel, that uh, was speaking to the condition of their hearts in that day. And I find very, uh, very much a parallel to the message that Malachi was bringing to the nation of Israel at that time to where we may see our nation or our world at this time. And Malachi was calling God's people to repentance, to, 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 not only, uh, to, to not only change their mind, but to repent, to turn from living their lives on their own or for themselves and turn back to righteousness and turn back to God. In the nation at the time, the priesthood had become extremely corrupt Does that sound like our times today? It seems like there's not hardly a week that goes by that we don't learn of a prominent celebrity pastor in our nation who has had a moral failure or a moral fall. And they had, they had, they have begun to offer offerings, animal sacrifices to God and sneaking in the blemished animals to God and a sacrifice. They were teaching error. They were teaching more of what appealed to them rather than what God's Word said. Not only had the priesthood become corrupt, but the people had become extremely ungodly as well. You really couldn't distinguish the nation of Israel from any other surrounding nations around them. Their worship of God had kind of become routine, had kind of, there was no heart in it any longer. There was no expression of heart to God. And how many of us recognize that, that our worship, meaning our lifestyle given over to God, if it's just done in rote and, and kind of a system of cycle, then it really means nothing to God. Can you say amen to that? Jesus said, you offer praise with me to your, with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And that's the way the people had become. Uh, divorce in the land was extremely rampant, uh, where, where there could be any reason or excuse given to put away a wife. And it not only had been growing in the people themselves, but in the priesthood as well. They were just kind of going through the motions of righteousness, a form of righteousness without function. Does that make sense? You see, God desires righteousness, but the thing that he wants first is a heart that's turned towards him in righteousness. And where the heart is turned to God, then the life follows in that way. The third thing that he speaks to them of, which we're going to talk about this morning, was in this area of tithing. 
Now, not only had they, had they ceased tithing, but they openly neglected tithing. They openly neglected giving what God had clearly commanded in the Scripture. And it was almost as if they, they found reasons, just as we can today as well, to justify sinning against God in that way. Now, let me caution you. Um, as I begin to teach this morning from Malachi on the area of tithing, we can have one or two responses when we hear God's word concerning this area of giving. We can either take a position or attitude of self-righteousness, does that make sense, and say, well, I tithe, and arrogance in that, or we can take an attitude of self-indulgence, and we can just ignore what God says in his word about giving, and we can say, you know what? I I would, but there's so much that I need, and we are in a consumer-driven society, and it seems as though that we may not openly agree with the statement, but sometimes we can agree with the statement, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? Can I tell you that he who dies with the most toys dies without his toys? (laughs) Amen? So Malachi uh, does three things in this. He, he exposes their sin in these areas to the nation. And can I tell you, Malachi was not a popular prophet. <laughs> he exposes their sin, and then he rebukes them of it as God had given word through him. But then he challenges them in this to be obedient to God's word. Read along with me, beginning in verse 7 of Malachi chapter 3. He says in verse 7, Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Then he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Would you pray with me? God, we pray that you would give us understanding of your word. God, I I pray, I pray, I pray. God, that your word would strike us in our hearts, God, not just in our hands. God, what you desire are our hearts to be given over to you. And God, as we sang that song, I Surrender All, I realize, God, that it's hard for me to sing that song because I know there are areas in my life that are not 100% surrendered over to you. And all God's people said, amen to that. But God, our desire is that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our lives, God, that we would worship you with every being of our, of our fiber, everything that we are, God, that we would give over to you in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. At the heart of Malachi's message, he lays down a, a basis of blessing. 
that, that not only applied in the people of Malachi's time, but it applies in our lives as well. We all want the blessings of God. Can you say amen to that? We do. We desire the blessings of God. And, and Malachi lays down, and all of Scripture really lays down, that there are bases for blessings in our lives. That, that God is a God of grace, yes, but there is a basis in which God blesses abundantly or will bless abundantly in our lives. Now, Malachi's time, blessing was considered more in the sense of the physical or the material areas of life. But for us, in, in, in our life, in the New Testament time, we might say, we realize that the blessings of God are far greater than material blessings. I think oftentimes my father, when he was about to pass away, and I think I've shared this story with you, that all of his life could have been summed up in his material possessions in that one little room that he was in in assisted living care as he was about to pass. But through the weekend, as people came to see my dad upon his passing, he was 84 years of age, and there were well over 100 people that came through that room to visit my dad and and say goodbye to him. And I realized in that moment that my dad was a blessed man. Amen? There was not a lot of inheritance to go along in the family. There was not a a lot to pass on in way of possessions. But I recognized and realized because my dad had walked with God, my dad's life was given over to him. My dad loved his wife. He loved his children. He honored God. And at the end of his life, he was a blessed man. What God desires more in your life and in my life is not just physical and material blessings. Yes, God brings those, but what God desires is, as Jesus described, life and that more abundantly, that at the end of our lives, we might say we have lived a blessed life because God has exhibited his graces and his mercies in our lives. You see, there were conditions that Malachi lays out here in this passage on the blessings of God. The first thing that he called the nation to, if you look at verse 7, he says, ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away. They have turned away from my decrees, and you have not kept them. And then he says, return to me. And the first condition of the blessings that God wanted to pour out in their lives was that they had to return to him, we might say, in the fashion he was calling on them to repent. Paul, you and I had a conversation this last week about repentance, not that you needed to repent. Uh, um, But we had a conversation of repentance and and how we take lightly what Jesus, what God calls us to in repentance. And we recognize that so often we have in repentance the idea that there is behavior modification and not a heart that is turned to God. You see, we can train a monkey to do a lot of things. And we as human beings can learn to discipline in our lives through self-discipline, a lot of actions. But God's not nearly as concerned about that as he is the heart. You see, I can have all of the outward appearance going on, right? I can even wear a shirt like yours, Harold, and, and look like I got it going on. But when my heart is not there... God could really care less what my outward actions are. Amen? That's not to say he doesn't care. 
But it's to say what God is after more than anything in our lives is our heart. Because when the heart is after God, then all of life follows after that. You see, I've, I've recognized and I've learned through the years, not only in my own life, but in the life of the body of believers, that, that when we disregard the laws or the commands of God, when we display a spirit of rebellion or passivity to what God calls us to in obedience, or we take advantage of the mercies and the graces of God, the only thing back to God is a heart turned away from towards God. You're missing God in your life right now? It may be that repentance is necessary in one area or the other. That there's a turning away to recognize, God, your ways are right, Lord. Your law is right. Your commands are right, God. Now change my mind and my heart that my life must follow as well. You see, what God desires, and he calls out through Malachi, is that he's calling out for his people to return to him. Can I tell you that when we turn to him, he will always turn to us? Can you say amen to that? I've learned in in my life that, that when there's an area that I need to repent of, that I need to turn from and turn towards God, no matter how small or great that area is, that when I turn to, towards God, God doesn't stand there and say, no, enough time hasn't passed yet. I'm not willing to return back to you. You ever have somebody that, that treats you that way, that, that you recognize that you've offended them, and you go to them and you say, would you forgive me? I've offended you. I'm not telling you that, Sandy. I'm just saying. And, 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 and they, they treat you as though, yes, I hear your words, and, and I'm not questioning the sincerity there, but I'm going to just kind of give you the silent treatment a little longer until I feel like I'm ready to take you back. Are you glad that God does not treat us that way? That the moment we turn to him, he turns to us. It it would be in that New Testament language that if we confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, But not only is there repentance, not only was that a condition for God's return to them or God's blessings in their life, but there had to be obedience as well. I love what John the Baptist said when he comes on the scene and he's the forerunner of Jesus and he's calling the nation back to repentance. By the way, uh, the last message that the children of Israel heard was from Malachi when he's calling the nation back to repentance. And then the first message that they hear again as, as John the Baptist comes on the scene is what? Repent. And John the Baptist says, repent and bear fruit, keeping with repentance. Meaning that I can cry crocodile tears at the altar, right? But if there's not an act of obedience, if I don't bear fruit of that repentance, then repentance probably has not taken place. You see, God had shut up the windows of blessing to the nation of Israel because of a life of disobedience. Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. 
So a demonstration of our love to God is obeying what He's commanded. We often quote Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, and we say, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, and we leave it off there. But what did Jesus say after that? Baptizing them and teaching them to do what? Obey everything that I have commanded. Now, we have a, we have a way of putting that off oftentimes in the church where we tag obedience as legalism. It, it's kind of the hand grenade we throw out there. That if, if you're exhorting me to obedience in an area of my life, I may say, Chad, don't be a legalist. Well, see, obeying God's commands is not legalism. Can I hear an amen to that? Legalism is when I have a conviction over something, I have a conviction not to eat meat sacrificed to idols when it hasn't been clearly stated in Scripture that I'm not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And I come to you and say, David, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. That's legalism. I'm imposing on you a personal conviction that I have. That's legalism. But to follow the commands as God has laid them out in Scripture is not legalism. Folks, that's obedience. Can we say amen to that? Thank you. Malachi reminds them that they had departed from God. And one of the indications in their life that they had departed from God was in this area of withholding an offering to God withholding their ties to God. And can I tell you this? I I don't know about you, but in my life, that seems to be one of the most challenging areas to trust God in, right? And whether we are an obedient, regular giver or not, it can sometimes be a challenge. Why? Because it takes trust. That when you and I are giving to God, and this is why God has the heart, God doesn't need it. Can you say amen to that? We need it to pay the light bill, right? But God doesn't need it. What God desires is that we trust him. Can I propose this to you? That I think every, every command that God gives in Scripture requires us to trust him to walk in obedience to that command. You see, because we have the idea that we might know a better way. Or circumstances or situations might say, well, there, in my human reasoning, in my human wisdom, there's another way to deal with this. But then I see that my way is, is, is kind of contrary to what God says. And I say, God, I know best. God, I'm not going to trust you in what you say in your word, but I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so God has given that, that we, that we might trust him. Notice what 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 says. Has the Lord as great delight, or does the Lord have as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in your obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. What what he's saying here is is God God takes greater delight in our obedience rather than our sacrifices for him, is what he's saying. You see, true obedience is measured in the motive of our hearts and not by our hand. You see, God was after their heart, not after their tithing. Can I say this this morning? As I'm teaching this, I'm not after your dollars. I'm really not. God has well abundantly supplied and will supply. 
what, what, what my desire is in the body, in your life, and in my life is that we live a life of obedience to God in every single area of our life because it opens up the windows of blessing in our life. I can remember back in the mid-'70s, my dad uh, was out of work for a long time. He was a union electrician. And during the mid-'70s, there just wasn't any work in Atlanta. And my dad had been out of work for about 13 months. And I remember distinctly sitting in the passenger seat of our 1969 Kingswood station wagon. Remember those? They were ugly. (laughs) Dad gave me that car when I turned 16 to drive, and within two days I had it sold. (laughs) But I can remember sitting there in the passenger seat and my mother driving through the drive-thru at the Bank of Covington and she had a couple of checks where my dad had done some side jobs. And, and I can remember, because I was holding it, and I remember that, that the amount of that deposit was $250. And I'm thinking in my mind as a little boy, $250. And maybe in that day, $250 was a lot of money. But I can remember that about that time, my tennis shoes had gotten worn, and I needed a new, I, I thought I needed a new pair of tennis shoes. Converse All-Stars were the thing of the day. Now they are again. But you remember when Converse All-Stars were the thing of the day? And I think I've shared this before. And I knew I couldn't get Converse All-Stars, but I knew Fruit of the Loom had a good knockoff on Converse All-Stars. Tennis shoes. And they were about three bucks a pair. And I remember mom telling me, as we were in the grocery store, I, I, we can't afford those. But I remember seeing mom deposit that. And on Sunday morning, as we were preparing as a family to go to church, my dad, which was his habit, he sat there at the kitchen table and he would read his Sunday school lesson prior to uh, Sunday school. And dad took out the checkbook and he wrote a check for $25. And I questioned my dad. Because I'm thinking in my mind, you can't buy me a new pair of tennis shoes, but you're going to give the church $25? And I may have been a smart aleck little kid. I I can't remember. I don't think I was, but I think maybe I have been. My dad turned to me and said, son, I'm not going to miss out on the blessings of God for 10% of the dollar. That spoke volumes to me. You see, it wasn't the dollar amount. It was the heart that preceded that. Now I'm older and I can reflect back and I can look on that and I can see God's faithfulness in my life and many of your lives as well. And I realize that what God is intend, what God is looking for is a heart that's turned after him. Notice he says in this, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. You see, the principle of giving to God is consistent throughout Scripture. When we give, God blesses. When we hold, God curses. He says in verse 9, you're under a curse for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, I want us to notice in this passage that it's, it's not just the individual that was affected by the sin, but it was the whole nation as well. We have to recognize that our sin, while, while we may think it is our private sin. While we may think it has no bearing on anybody else, we realize that we live in community. We live in community in our families, and we live in community in the body of Christ. And where there's sin there, it affects the whole. I think about this. I was thinking about it as we were praying, uh, preparing this morning. We did Better Man series, uh, learning to be godly men. 
And I just want to say to men this morning, men, this is an area that you need to lead your family in. As I think about my dad and his example to me and looking at dad's life, I recognize that, that his obedience, I think, in terms, I see, brought blessings in my life as well. Not material blessings, but it brought blessings in my life. Notice he says here, bring the, bring the full tithe into the storehouse little background, we have to understand that, that in the temple there was an area that, that was designated that, that where all of the tithes would be brought, and the priesthood gained all of their resources from what the people would give. And so the children of Israel brought all their giving, their tithe, to the storehouse. Now, some use this passage to teach today that there is storehouse giving, that, that your tithe should all go to the local church. I personally don't see that. I think there's a principle there, Right? But as God leads, as Paul would tell us, that as each man is, is, is conditioned, is given in his own heart, that we're to give. But can I say this? In nowhere do I find in Scripture that the New Testament has superseded the principle or the command of the tithe. You see, some like to say, well, you know, tithing, that's, that's Old Testament, that's legalism. Can I propose to you that the tithe was instituted 400 years before the law of Moses? We find that Abraham, when he worshipped Melchizedek, he gave a tenth of all he gave. You see, the tithe wasn't done away by Jesus. Nowhere do we hear Jesus saying, as he did to others, you've heard it said, bring the full tithe in the storehouse, but I say 2% is okay. The principle's there. He's given that command. Listen to what he says in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the other. Well, he's saying you, you, you give your tithes, you give mint and you give rue and every herb, but yet you neglect justice and the love of God. He says these you ought to do, in other words, you ought to give, you ought to tithe, but don't neglect the other commandments of love that God has given. You see, they go hand in hand. So Jesus didn't do away with it. Jesus elevated it. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. He says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside, to store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no need for collection when I come. Paul also writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 that, that, that we're not to, to, to muzzle out the ox while it treads out the grain. In other words, in this area of giving, that, that we should give freely to supply for the ministry of the local church. Now, let me pause here just for a minute. I, I, and Phil's going to give a little bit more update. The people here have been faithful. Can I amen to that, Phil? Phil's our finance committee chairperson. And I'm, I'm shocked through COVID that, that God has met our needs, and he's met more than what our needs have been. And I'm thankful for that. What I'm concerned about is in the area of people's lives that they just neglect this without any sense of consequence of God shutting up the windows of heaven and blessing in their lives. It's like any other sin, Right? That, that when we're disobedient to God, there, there is a shutting off of blessing. 
God desires that we might be blessed. And I notice a promise here in verse 10. He says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and I see that I will not open up the windows of heaven for you. (laughs) Challenge me in this, is what God's saying. Put me to the test in this act of obedience and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven for you. Jesus put it this way, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. With the measure that you use it, it will also be measured back to you. Now, it's wrong to think that we give so that we get back from God, right? And we hear televangelists and all kinds of people exploiting the body with this kind of thing. If you give today, it doesn't mean that your son's going to be saved. Can I hear an amen to that? You see, that's manipulation. We don't give because we expect God to give something back to us. If we did that, then God could be bought. I don't give to this local church so that the church will do everything that I want it to do. I don't give to this local church so that they sing the kind of songs I want to hear. I don't give to this local church so that they paint the room the color I want it painted. Do you understand what I'm saying? You and I, we give because we give to God without any expectation back. And God freely gives in His grace the abundance of blessing in our life. Notice he says in here, that I will give until there is no more need, meaning that I'll give back until there is sufficiency. I'll give back until there is no need for any more. And I can agree with the psalmist when he said, I've never seen the righteous begging for bread. God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. He may not provide when I think he should provide. He may not provide how I think he should provide, but he will provide for your needs and my needs when we're obedient to him. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.